LCM. We're in a monumental time in history right now. We are. It's monumental on our calendar. It's monumental in the field of eschatology. It's monumental in the lives of believers. This is an extraordinary time. We're actually on the very edge of extraordinary and daring works for Jesus Christ. Amen. We're in a year of setting out. We've been preparing for this for a long, long time. Do you know the house that you sit in right now was built on faith? Okay, this was not the work Amen. of some consortium that looked at an almanac and decided the best year to do it and took a census and decided where to plant. We heard from the counsel of God and we set out with nothing but raw trust in his ability to make things happen while facing our own inadequacies and knowing that we didn't have the ability to make it happen. And you're sitting in it now. Well, we're going to do it again. And we're going to do it together. Today, I am tagging along with two young stallions. I mean, studly pastors. It's the first time in my entire life I'm participating in a message that I did not put together at all. So if I look bewildered sometimes, lost sometimes, it's because I'm standing in awe of what you're hearing the same way you are. But I want to tell you this is not a beginner's message. Okay? If you're new in this church, I'm going to tell you up front, you're going to be lost a lot. And that's okay. If you had been here 20 years ago, you wouldn't be lost right now. Amen. Think about that for the next 20 years. Because these messages build on each other. What you're about to hear is meat for the mature. That's, that's what it is. It's, it's so that men will understand the times and know what to do. And we have one singular goal. We want to sober you to the moment in history that we're living at. Come on. And we want to do that so that you will rise to the responsibilities that the king himself has assigned to you as an individual family. Because everybody in this room has works prepared in advance for you to do. And that's not a bumper sticker. That's, that's not just something that some old lady quilts on a pillow. It is a heavenly reality that we have to awaken to because you have this one life to give him. That's right. And that's all you have. And there's nothing of value in your one life except the obedience Come that you put on. forward towards his kingdom. Yeah. Is that sobering? Yeah. Okay, if you're staring at me like a monkey staring at a computer, mouth gaping open wide, gnats and flies circulating, this is not going to be church as normal. And I know almost every name in here, and I will call it, we're going to demand your attention today. Are you with me this morning? So church, now that you have an idea of what we are going to accomplish, it's appropriate to tell you that today is September 17th, 2023. Amen. And today's title is Seize the Day. Last week you learned about three major components of the creation account. We gave it to you in three forms. The first was the revealed character of Adonai through the days of creation. Like what he wanted you to know about him on the first day, the second day, the third day. From that, we also spoke to you about the historical building blocks that formed the house we are currently participating in. Third, we shared with you our own practical applications and wrestlings with the things that we discovered in the creation account. My God, we were bl blessed by last week's message. I mean, my goodness, what a message that went down into our souls that caused us to change what we did in this past week. Pastor, I was at 30,000 feet, suffering under the oppression of Delta Airlines, but re 
liberated inside because I was listening to it and I was blessed and I made sure the people sitting around me were blessed by that message last week. Oh, amen. Captive audience. Praise God that they got to hear it too. A hidden blessing. This message really solidified and strengthened our own conviction to hear me voluntarily engage in discipline. Amen. Like, I want that. Not like, oh, I know that I need that and I know it's coming, but no, no, no. I want that. I want to experience the discipline that will produce the basic elements of Adonai's character in me. That's what I'm desiring. Church, you should know that that message was intended to be a stepping stone. It was supposed to be a building block that laid the groundwork for what we are sharing with you today. The days of creation give us a great deal more than the average cursory reader is aware of. And the, among the things it reveals is the overall plan of God. Somebody say that with me. The overall plan of God. Before we bring up a slide that's going to be familiar to those of you who have been in foundations for a while, let's read a couple excerpts from 2 Peter together. And then we're going to review some historical gleanings from Adonai's chosen nation. We're going to pick up in 2 Peter 3, 8 through 9. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years. And a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. You guys need to take note of something. Peter is pointing to a pattern in the creation. He's referring all the way back to the beginning of the creation, and there is a propensity within man to lose sight of the faithfulness of Adonai to his own redemptive pattern. Wow. When God says something, he never backs up from it. He doesn't get discouraged. He doesn't bow out. He doesn't change his plan despite what dispensationalists say. <laughs> he doesn't want you to lose sight of the pattern. And he desires every one of you and everyone else in the world to reach a place of sincere repentance so that you can participate in his pattern. Is that your desire? Yes. Well, it's good because you have a, a part in this plan. And so do I. Yeah. There are items that are assigned to every man, woman, and child in this room that no one else on the planet can do because they were assigned to you. They have a timeline and they have a specificity that must be accomplished by you. It will literally set things into motion in God's plan. Come on. And when they go undone, God's plan suffers. This morning, we're going to awake to your individual responsibilities to the things God reveals to you from heaven. Do you want to hear from heaven? Yes. Do you want to do the things that the Lord has laid out for you to do? Yes. Amen. Well, you can and you will. So as we've already said this morning, we intend to capitalize on the years of teaching that this house has benefited from. Again, if a concept is unfamiliar to you, we will point you towards a litany of sermons that cover hours of teaching on each of these concepts. But for now, the majority in the room of you are aware that the Bible presents that Adonai not only has a plan, but has possessed a plan for the full redemption of mankind before the earth itself was created. 
Furthermore, the days of creation, as a day is a thousand years, lay out a seven-day or week-long plan of God, each day in God's sight being 1,000 years. Now, sermons like Restoration Ultimatum from our marriage counseling teaching, since the early 2000s have iterated this plan, that God not only wants to restore us to where we were in the garden, that he actually has a plan of restoration that is better than we started in. In fact, it's an improvement program that will leave us glorified and entirely sinless. The seven days of creation serve for the rest of the Bible as an introductory statement or format for how Adonai will deal with his creation all the way up to the end, primarily through his chosen people, Israel. Today we're going to engage with that pattern that was laid out in the beginning during creation. We're going to be stirred to sobriety about what we now know that each of us must do. That's a good day, church, isn't it? It's a good day when you're awakened to what heaven says you must do now because he'll empower you to do it. You can do it. You're sitting in the results of people having done that in decades before. Amen. And now we are going to make way for those that are coming after us. Yes. We're going to do it because heaven's going to reveal this morning what we must do. And we are going to, in faith, daring, bold faith, cause it to be a reality on the earth. Amen. 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 Church, do you believe that you can do it this morning? Because you're sitting in a house that believed that God could do it through them, and it continues to bless you and your descendants to this day. Let's skip down three verses in 2 Peter 3, all the way to verse 12. Read verse 12 with me. Waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God. Hastening the coming of the day of God. Come on. Because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved. And the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. This is Peter speaking. Peter certainly had no problem understanding the plan of Adonai, did he? No. No. He tells us that our involvement and our own willing participation in the plan of God has an actual effect on the culmination of the plan of God. He goes on to even emphasize the fact that this earth will be so reformatted yes. as to constitute something altogether new and better than the original state it was in before the fall. Yes. We're now going to begin to examine some of the historical associations with the days of creation. Ones that the original and the perpetual stewards of the word have made through millennia of study. You guys ready for this? So naturally, we're going to begin with day one, the first day of creation. You'll notice that the author is titled here in the very beginning. Every subsequent slide is going to be from the same rabbi. Nachmanides writes that the first day of creation, which saw the creation of light, embodies the first millennium of history, the millennium of Adam, whom the Midrash Hakum calls the light of the world when the world was still saturated with knowledge of its creator and was sustained by the indiscriminate benevolence of God. Yeah. Saints, you're already aware of how Adonai introduced himself as the God who interjects light into darkness. Y'all remember that from Sunday? Yeah. 
The first day of creation stands as witness to the fact that the entire world will be fully and completely saturated with the light of God again, but in a more full manifestation. In short, the creation will once again be brought into light, and it will be in a condition where there is no darkness left at all. The Lamb of God will be the light in the city. All darkness has been driven out, and now fully his light is manifested. The first 1,000-year day, which is embodied in the first day of creation, it stands in agreement with this fact as Adonai preserved a faithful line of men through whom he would be able to usher his light into the world. The great ancestor of Abraham, following all the way to David into Messiah, was preserved through this first millennium. How many of you in here are learning Hebrew with Justin Treister? Wow. Nachmanides. Ram, bam, thank you, ma'am. We, for thousands of years now, have the benefit of looking at people who have studied the Word. And when they studied the Word, they saw in the days of creation a pattern that would play out over the millennia. On this first day, you've seen that light came in and separated darkness. And the state of the world was covered in chaotic waters. Since the very first day of creation, Adonai has been forecasting his redemptive plan through his every action. Listen to this from Isaiah 11:9. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. Come on. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as waters cover the sea. What a strange way to describe that. Waters cover the sea? That's like saying water is wet. It is an acknowledgement that all the way back to when the earth was covered in the waters of chaos, there is a day projected from the moment God said, let there be light, when the earth would be saturated with the knowledge of God. The whole thing. Now that was just day one. Day two is our second slide, the second day of creation. This second day on which the creator distinguished between the spiritual and the physical elements of his creation, yielded a second millennium of judgment and discrimination, as reflected in the flood, which wiped out a corrupt humanity and spared only the righteous Noah and his family. So this second day of creation, it stands as a witness to the fact that the word discrimination and the actions regarding discrimination are divine and a required quality in God's creation. God divided the earth and made clear distinctions between what is simply so and what is actually good. Come on. The flood is evidence of his ongoing division in his creation. We are to be men who can recognize the battleground before us and testify to the judgment that is still to come and the salvation that is to come for just a few. The second 1,000-year day, or the second millennium, it bears out this concept in the events of Genesis 6, where a distinction was made between the righteous and the wicked. Come on. We're not going to cover it today, but in Peter's second epistle, in the second chapter, in the fifth verse, it's clearly drawing from this concept that is forecasted in this second day of creation. And it's played out in the second 1,000-year day or millennium. So again, 
The apostles looked into the word and they understood a pattern that was there. And they speak about it because they expect you to understand it. And it wasn't just the apostles. I quoted to you earlier Isaiah 11. Isaiah had the ability to read what Moses wrote about the days of creation, then prophesy under inspiration about what it would produce. He's not the only one that did it. Listen to Habakkuk 2.14, and it sounds like a direct quote from Isaiah, except it's not. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Isaiah said the earth would be filled with the knowledge of the Lord. Habakkuk said the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. The more you look into the pattern in the days of creation and how they play out through the millennia, the more you find out that it's not just that every man will know the Lord. They will know and see the glory of God which saturates the planet. You can get a taste of that right now. Raise your right hand. Now raise your left hand. See, even you guests are halfway to being charismatic. Say glory. Glory. Amen. We can have a taste of that now and we will bring it to every nation on earth. We're moving to the third day and each day of creation introduces something that will have a full manifestation and will result in the glory of God and his dominion being revealed. So on the third day of creation, on which the land emerged from the sea and sprouted forth greenery and fruit-bearing trees, encapsulates the third millennium in which Abraham began teaching the truth of the one God and in which the Torah was given on Mount Sinai. Guys, so begin to catch this. You already know that the third day speaks of seed-bearing plants and trees being planted on the earth that were received from God but had to be watered and cultivated by who? Who had to cultivate the trees and seeds of the earth? Man had to. See, what is being drawn from this when you look at the third millennium that this third day of creation forecast is that the very word of God was first entrusted to mankind through Abraham. He received the word and he believed. Then he had to cultivate the seed that God had given him so that it would grow to encompass everyone who has spiritually become a son of Abraham. Once again, Peter speaks of this concept. He expounds in his very first epistle on the days of creation when he says, not that you've heard the word, not that the word has existed, but that you have received an imperishable seed, one that when cultivated and watered can grow up inside of you to produce the full fruit of Adonai's intention. Who has the eternal seed inside of them this morning? Come on, it's the very word of God planted in your heart. Nachmanides or Rambam looked at the third day of creation and said, wow, this relates to a period of history in which a patriarch received the word of God. Yeah. Peter looks at this same thing and says, this relates to our receiving of the word of God. Did you know that that eternal seed was meant to be rained on from heaven? Yeah, Come on. yeah say rain on me, mighty God. Rain on me. Do you believe he'll do it? Now know that Hebrews makes you responsible for the land that receives the rain from heaven but produces thorns and thistles is in danger of being cursed and burned. But the land that produces a crop useful for the one who planted it shall be blessed. We have a choice before us. And receiving the eternal seed is not the same thing as producing and cultivating its crop.
but we are going to cultivate it. Woo, my beautiful, sexy grandmas on the front row. Let me hear you say it. Cultivate me, baby. Yes, in our Christian life, we are going to cultivate the Word of God until we Hallelujah. produce exactly what Christ is on earth. <laughs> Let's jump to day four together. The fourth day of creation. The fourth day on which God created the sun and the moon. You hear that? Two great luminaries. The greater luminary and the lesser luminary. This corresponds to the fourth day. Millennium, in which the first temple, one luminary, and the second temple, another luminary, in Jerusalem served as the divine abode, one from which light emanated to the entire world. You already know that the fourth day serves to enlighten us about Yahweh's fixed signs of faithfulness. Come on. We have scores of men in this room. Scores of men that will perform the function of faithful witnesses to the light of God as found in his son, Messiah. The fourth millennium bears out the concept that fixed or immovable testimonies like the temple would indeed be raised up. The point being, the history of the nation of Israel follows the plan for restoration and also ultimate glorification outlined in this Genesis account. Peter, in the second chapter of his first epistle, expounds on what is revealed in the fourth day of creation and in the unveiling of the plan of God during the fourth 1,000-year day, or millennium, when he says, And you, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house, a luminary that spreads light for the rest of the world. Do I have any hard-working men in this house? Come on. Do I have any hard-working women in this house? Amen. Come on, the fourth day of the week on the Jewish calendar is a Wednesday. I'm talking about hump day. The week is half over at this point. LCM, you were born again. You were created to be new, to be a living witness to the things that are a heavenly reality. That's more than a brick and mortar building or temple that stood in Israel's history. Adonai has literally invested something in you that you have a responsibility to come into an understanding of. At some point, you realize if you, if you didn't do it on Sunday or Monday or Tuesday, come on. by God, when you get to the fourth day, hump day, you know the week is drawing to an end. Yeah. Well, the days of the week are drawing to an end in an eschatological fashion. There is no time to wait. Don't wait. The salvation of the kingdom is nearer now to you than when you first believed. Romans 13, 11 says it this way. Besides, this you know the time. Wow. Without a wristwatch, Paul says, you know the time. Come on. That the hour has come for you to awake from your slumber. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then, let us cast off works of darkness and put on the armor of light. As we engage with these days of creation in millennia, you need to understand something. 
We're way over the halfway point. Come on. We're nearing the end. And that is reason for you to have a sobriety yeah. about your actions. Saints, the fourth day of creation spoke to us about fixed luminaries that would be there during the day and the night serving as faithful witnesses consistently. Paul exhorts us in the passage that we just read in Romans 13 to recognize the time, to put on the armor of light because we are to be fixed witnesses according to the pattern of creation. Now let me tell you, that brings you to the fifth day and you want to be armored with light for a reason. The fifth day... The day of fish, birds, and reptiles unfolded into the lawless and predatory dark ages of the fifth millennium. Thanks to the fifth day of creation, it forecast a diverse and magnificent creation that is in the image of God. It's a representation of who he is. You already know that a man was created to be in that magnificent and diverse creation. We saw that in the Genesis account. However, there's something we need to learn from the fifth millennium and the fifth day of creation. The reality is that a diverse and beautiful creation, when it is left to its own devices and has not been ordered by God's word, it turns into a chaotic, violent, spoiled mix that is destroying and devouring all those that are around. While you're thinking about the connection between the fifth day and the fifth millennium, you should know this is the time frame that a select few held the very word of God while the masses had no access to it. It was preserved in a language that the common folk could not read on purpose. And we descended into what the world now knows as the dark ages when we did not have the word of God. Our differences between one another actually became an excuse for crusades, for disparate warring factions, for the worst violence that the earth has ever seen, while the word of God was so close, but it's ordering effect, well, it was withheld. We live in a complex and diverse creation. That creation was meant to magnify the beauty and the complexity of God's glory. Without anointed men who understand the plan and times, the creation always descends into the disorder and chaos. Anybody that's ever planted a garden, you don't have to do anything for the weeds to take over. All you have to do is not do anything and they will take over. The very reason that you and I were put here is to bring the image of God into the earth in a way that creates order and creates life. For that to happen, we have to wake up to the time that we're living in. Because we're not living in the fifth day, we've actually already passed this day, eschatologically speaking. In fact, this morning we hope to sound an alarm. We want you to remember that Paul said things like in 1 Corinthians 7.29, the appointed time has grown very short. Let's move into our sixth day and we're going to do it with an alertness. Somebody say alertness. alertness. And LCM. I mean this only spiritually speaking, with sobriety. On, yeah, and that's going to make us effective. Now, we've reached the sixth day, the sixth millennium. The sixth day whose early hours saw the creation of the beasts of the land, followed by the creation of man, is our millennium. A millennium marked by strong, forceful empires, 
whose beastly rule will be followed by the emergence of Messiah. The perfect man who brings to realization the divine purpose in the creation and also ushers in the seventh millennium. The world to come, which will be a time of perfect shalom. So in the sixth day of creation, men in God's image and beasts of the earth actually existed together for the first time in history. First place. Mankind, through our common father, Adam, were told several things. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue, and have dominion. Adonai had the prosperity of our generations in his mind before the very beginning. And he forecasted that our rule on the earth in his divine image would indeed be resisted. The fact that mankind was told these things on the same day that the beasts of the earth were created, well, this is very telling. It serves as a portent for what will occur in the sixth millennium. Now, if the descriptions given in the book of Daniel are not readily jumping into your mind at this point, then we refer you to our foundation studies in Daniel that expound on the dream of Nebuchadnezzar, as well as the three beastly empires followed by a fourth, a terrible beast that would rule the earth. But for today's purposes, let's suffice it to say that the sixth 1,000-year day, or the sixth millennium, it's marked by a time of trouble unlike anything that this creation has ever seen. Unparalleled. It is also the precursor to the reign of Messiah on the earth. This is the 1,000-year day. This is the, one, the millennium that we live in. And the time period that is drawing, hear me church, near to a close already. Today we're going to grow in our understanding of Adonai's plan. And our placement in his plan. Yes. Because when given proper attention by every one of us, it's going to inform every area of our actual purpose in this life on creation. Only seven days in a week and you're somewhere in the sixth day. And God's plan has to come to a culmination. This morning should be an enlivening call to awake to your actual calling. Because I'm telling you that it matters. Your calling matters to the kingdom of God. Understanding the plan and the pattern that is laid out repetitiously in the word should be for you a Daniel 9-2 kind of moment. Let me read that to you. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. See, Daniel had an awakening moment from looking at the pattern laid out in the word of God. And he realized that most of all, to him, right there, he had a revelation that he had a responsibility to act and act now. And the rest of the book of Daniel is the result of his actions. You are going to have an opportunity to act and act now. Every man in here is going to have to awaken and number your days rightly. Because we're telling you that this week will not go on forever. And those of you that have lofty retirement plans, you might not be right about them. You're going to have to have a sobriety 
about the number of days that you actually have left to complete the will of God in your life because you have a vital role to play. And if you do not do it, then it's left undone and someone who was not designed to do it has to pick up that task. Do you want to take that role seriously? Yes. It begins with understanding exactly how short your time is and numbering your days rightly. Saints, we live in a time of degrading understanding. The men who are born today and are reaching 20 to 25 don't have a sixth of the vocabulary that the men of Charlie's age had. We're living in a day when the gospel is being boiled down and boiled down ever further to the place where we actually have megachurches preaching that you don't need to believe in the resurrection of the dead. Saints, that was unfathomable 20 years ago, but it is the direction we're heading. I'm going to quote to you from Ephesians 5 and from 2 Peter. Both of these apostles have an entirely different perspective on what is required of everyone who has come to believing faith. So beginning in Ephesians 5, 15, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Yes! 2 Peter 3, 3 embodies this same phrase. First of all, like as of first importance, of all the things I want you to know, the first thing, baby Christian, you must know. You must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. Saints, it is required that we understand the plan of God. It's not the job of a theologian or a select few in the church. The apostolic fathers, both of them, readily affirmed that every man who had come into faith must understand so you can live as a wise and not foolish man. They found it personally unacceptable in their work that a man who had come to genuine believing faith, who had been filled with the spirit of Jesus, would be unequipped with the ability to understand where he was at in time and what was required of him. Saints, what we're speaking to you about today, we showed you, Five days of creation up to this point. It's going to be primarily aimed at the sixth day of creation. Why? Because it's our day of creation. It is the sixth millennium we live in. And saints, our time period is drawing to a close much faster than you think. So quickly, we're going to take you through Revelation 13, Revelation 14, Revelation 15, and purposefully succinct passages to help give you an idea of not all of the days, but the day you live in. Come on now. Listen, the portrait that they're about to show you in Revelation 13, 14, and 15 was written precisely so that the average Christian, because there's no such thing as a Christian who is average, but we are all Christians together. They were written so that we would know and understand our placement in the time. Do you know why? The scripture compels you to rise to this occasion. The scripture warns us so that you will not be one of the scoffers that acts as if, as if the day has already come or as if it doesn't matter and it will just come at some point in the future and you have no responsibility to it. The times of just living and dying to go to heaven, that's a ridiculous fairy tale that was sold to the masses. It is not scriptural and it is not what you are living for. 
We are the generations that will rise to face the beastly nations Come that on. are the incarnation of Satan. We will face them and we will prevail. I'm asking you to shake off the cobwebs. We're 35 minutes into a message and you are going to want to pay careful attention to what these brothers are going to show you as we proceed through the book of Revelation. And I want to tell you, and especially you guests, with absolute confidence, you will not be raptured. That is a lie that was invented in the 1800s by John Nelson Darby. And you will have to face satanic fury and overcome it with the glory of God. And that is what you were born for. And you were designed to gain glory for him. That is why you are on the earth. Do you want to gain glory for him? Yes. Then do not comfort yourself with the idea that you will not see these days. Every generation up until the 1800s was certain that they would see these days. And we are much closer to them now than anybody has ever been. Church, you were set apart in Christ's kingdom to understand the days that you live in. That is your right. That is your privilege. As we get into Revelation 13, we want you to focus because we are up here trying to make sure that you as men and women of God understand the times that we live in right now. Understand the times that are coming that are right on our doorstep and fully understand that there's not a whole lot of time left. Revelation 13.1 is where we will start. And the dragon stood on the shore of the sea. And I saw a beast. Which millennia was that, by the way? The sixth millennium. I saw a beast coming out of the sea. He had ten horns and seven heads with ten crowns on his horns. And on each head, a blasphemous name. The sixth day of creation. It forecasted that in the sixth 1,000-year day, in the sixth millennium, a beastly empire would rise alongside those created in the very image of God. And that beast would have to, no, must be subdued. Yeah. We know from the book of Daniel and many other passages throughout the word that what is being depicted in Revelation chapter 13 is the final beastly empire. The one that will rule the earth just prior, just prior to the return and the royal reign of Messiah, King of the Jews. Look, we're going to pick up the pace because we have some things to cover. But I don't want you to miss what we're doing right now. The sixth day of creation. What was made on that day? Beasts and men. and men. What were men told to do? Subdue and take dominion. The sixth millennium as it is drawing to a close, which is our millennium, is the day that that beast arose and men of faith must contend with it. So we're moving to verse 7 now that we've set the context for Revelation 13. Verse 7 says, He was given power to make war against the saints and to conquer them. And he was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation, including the great Republic of Texas. All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast. All whose names have not been written in the book of life Belonging to the Lamb. Now catch this next part. That was slain from the creation of the world. Wow. And who has an ear, 
let him hear. Saints, what is being depicted here? And you know from last Sunday as well as the context that we've set. There is a plan that has existed from the very creation of the world. Revelation is letting you know that Messiah, he's the embodiment of that plan and he will preserve those who cling to him. Adonai has a plan to redeem his co-creation long before man ever sinned. Saints, that ought to be comforting as you're facing the darkest days that humanity has ever seen. Furthermore, you will remember that we were put here as the solution to an existing problem. We didn't usher in sin into the creation. It was already there. We were here as the solution. Now, the terrible and beautiful truth in this is that on the one hand, we are the solution. On the other hand, we're a part of the problem. This beastly dragon, this beastly nation. Saints, it is embodied by Gentiles who have rallied together in disobedience to God against his chosen nation. See, we are both the solution and we are participants in the problem. Man, oh man, when you think about this, it is one of so many reasons that the incarnation of Jesus, well, it's the fulfillment of everything. See, Jesus being incarnated as a man, one who did not participate, the only one who did not participate in the corrupting influences of these ancient evil powers, well, he's the one who is the breaker and has made a way for us in his name, in his spirit, as his body in the sixth millennium to conquer those beastly powers that we were corrupted by. Saints, the sixth 1,000-year day, that is the very edge of the millennium, the royal reign of God. The ending of the sixth millennium is the time where men will stand and see the seventh begin where our king is coming on the clouds. Look, it's a final note, and it is incredible to take note of. The text clearly indicates that Adonai had this plan before you sinned, before the earth was formed, before anything that we are facing today has arrived. He has destined these deeds to be done from the very beginning. None of this has caught Adonai by surprise. From the moment that he hovered over the chaos, even the ordering of the days and what he created on each day was forecasting his redemptive plan. So let me ask you, since the pattern has been since the first chapter of the Bible, how many days does a man work? And then comes the Sabbath rest. Six days we work. We're talking about a 6,000-year period in which the labor of man is to partner with God and bring about the kingdom on this planet. And that is followed by a millennial Sabbath, yeah. a 1,000-year period where we rejoice as priests and still wrangle the rest of the earth into the rest of God. So let me ask you, while we're standing, I, I get some of you are already confused because you've been lied to your whole life. And you thought that when you raised your hand at eight years old, that was the fullness of your responsibility. Well, the problem is not with the actual gospel. The, one is, the problem is with the one you accepted. So let's come clear with something. If you knew at this very minute that you were at the end of your work week, you knew that the bell was going to ring and you had to rest on the labor that you had put into the kingdom at this moment. Would that change the way that you approach this subject? 
Would you really sit oh, around and say, why do you have to be so serious? Would you really be contemplating the things that have occupied your mind this week? Now is no time to coast. This is our moment in history to risk it all, to throw caution to the wind and say, we are in the final hour and I will not be denied my place in history. But faith is going to have to rise in you to do that. It is our moment, church. It's our moment to come into the realization of where we are in history and as we come face to face with it, to reckon with ourselves that this is our moment to risk it all. Come on. This is our moment to put it all on the table. This is our moment to sacrifice more than we ever have before. This is our moment to take our petty schedules and cast them aside and say, God, God, what is it? What is it that you've called me to do today and now? What must I do to make sure that your will is accomplished? Now we're going to move on to chapter 14 in Revelation. You need to remember as we move on that we are still in the sixth millennium here. Revelation 14:6. Then I saw another angel flying in midair, and he had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth and to every nation, tribe, language, and people. He said in a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory. Hallelujah. Because the hour of judgment has come. The hour? The hour of judgment. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and springs of water. This plan of God is laid out in the thousand year increments that form a week after the pattern laid down in Genesis, the one that we began this morning together in. What's being described in these verses are the events that make up the final time period of the sixth 1,000-year day or millennium. Did you hear? It's the last hour. It's closer and closer. The angel described this time period as the final hour of God's judgment. Now our next verses will give vivid descriptions of what the judgment in that final hour is exactly going to look like. And what is required of those who obey God's commandments and remain faithful to Jesus. Did you hear the words, final hour? Oh, yeah. How could you be sleepy if you were contemplating the words, the final hour? Come on. Hey, rouse yourself. Wake yourself up right now, lest you be caught slumbering when the king returns. If you had 70 years left, then you would act a certain way. Yep. If you had 70 weeks left, you would modify some of your behavior. What does a man's look like? life look like when he realizes he is in his final hour church i want to tell you he is no fool who gives away what he cannot keep to gain that which can never be lost church this has to be the hour of our awakening that is what is required to seize the day you cannot go on acting like all the days in the future will be like the ones in the past if you haven't noticed, the world is changing around us. Oh, yeah, Soon the maps will change. Nations are rising and falling. We are approaching a time period in history that is unparalleled. Sober yourself. Saints, with the changes in mind that you're watching, and with the ability to look at the pattern of creation, remember as I pick up in the next verse, this is not in a distant galaxy some far, far away. This is your millennium and your future. 
A second angel followed and said, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, which made all the nations drink the maddening wine of her adulteries. A third angel followed them and said in a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on the forehead or on the hand, he too will drink of the wine of God's fury, which has been poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. He will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment rises forever and ever. There is no rest day or night for those who worship the beast and his image. Or for anyone who receives the mark of his name. Hear this church. This calls. This calls for patient endurance on the part of the saints. Yes. Are you a saint of the living God in this house? Well this is calling you in your millennium. To patient endurance on the part of saints. Who obey God's commandments and remain faithful to Jesus. Then I heard a voice from heaven say, Right blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, they will rest from their labor for their deeds will follow them. Are you ready to rest on the deeds that you have already performed? Or do you believe that Adonai has more faithful, more daring, more glorious deeds in your future? Don't wait. Don't stop now. We're not done. It's the end of the work week. But the deeds that follow you into eternity still lie before you. Saints, when you recognize Adonai's plan and you don't shove it off to some theologian, you realize that the scripture itself declares the book of Revelation is to be known and understand by its readers. Saints, all of this should create in us an urgency, a sense of awareness that says, no, that is my job to fulfill the faithful witness to Jesus even unto death. Look, as you engage with this sixth millennium, And you recognize that this is not another time frame that applies to someone else. But instead, it is your time frame. We need to introduce you to something very special about today in all of history. Today is a special day. A warning bell of sorts. A unique time frame within the 7,000 year plan of God. And a unique day within the 6th millennium. Before we get into that though, we're going to take one more passage. That will help us understand the transition that results from the completion of our work in our six days. And ushers in the seventh when your king will come on the clouds. Revelation 14 verse 19. And we're going to read into 15 together. And remember, this is our millennium that we're reading about. The angel swung his sickle on the earth. Gathered its grapes and threw them into the great wine press. Of God's wrath. More on that to come. Remember that we told you. They were trampled in the wine press outside the city. And blood flowed out of the press. Rising as high as the horse's bridles for a distance of 1600 stadia. 15 verse 1. I saw in heaven another great and marvelous sign. Seven angels with the seven last plagues. Last Because with them God's wrath is completed. And I saw what looked like a sea of glass mixed with fire. And standing beside the sea, those who had been victorious over the beast. Yes. 
over his image and over the number of his name. They held harps given them by God and sang the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of the ages. Hallelujah. Who will not fear you, O Lord? Who will not bring glory to your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you. For your righteous acts have been revealed. Our millennium is the time of unparalleled trouble on the earth. And the conquering return of Jesus Christ that will initiate a process that brings all nations into subjugation to him. This is when the royal reign of Jesus, the Jewish Messiah, and the son of David will begin on the earth. The conclusion of our millennium will be heralded by seven angels, seven plagues, seven trumpets that are announcing the day of full atonement for Israel. Those seven trumpets are special. And not just Israel. Those who are grafted in along with God's chosen nation. And this moment is nearly at hand. Somebody say it's at hand. It's at hand. Say it again. It's at hand. It's at hand. If you understand that this moment is at hand. If you understand that we're approaching the final hour. How does that affect the faith that requires you to take action. See the book of Revelation in chapter 14, 12 said, Faithful endurance for those that obey his commands. Does that sound to you like a pathetic, normal Christian life? Can you really continue acting as if you have unlimited time to get around to the will of God? Saints, what would your daily life look like if you really believed that these were the last days you could accomplish God's will in. Come on. Let me ask you, would you be working to retain your possessions if these were your last days on earth? Would you be planning a retirement if these were your last days on earth? Can we really live an abjectly normal life knowing where we're at on the calendar? Wouldn't your understanding of the times... Produce a reckless abandonment, throwing caution to the wind, and give all and do all to accomplish the will of God? Wouldn't you be selling your cars to fund the work? Wouldn't you be ridding yourselves of all possessions to gain eternity? If you really thought it was the last hour, wouldn't your actions show it in every single area of your life? Are you sure that we haven't become scoffers acting as if that day will never come? Saints, we were meant to be able to understand these things. And the people of God are contrasted in the New Testament epistles with those who act as if his coming will always linger. We are to know when the leaves on the tree are turning. Our next slide is representative of the seventh day. But it is an image that you will want to burn into your mind. The days of creation lay out God's plan for us from the beginning, both showing us his character and giving you the idea of how he will bring about the ultimate fulfillment of his reign. The seventh day is what we want to draw your attention to. It begins at the very end of the 6,000 years or the millennium we currently live in. 
with the days of trouble that must be faced. At the end of those days, as trouble is faced, as the people of God stand, it pushes us into the Malhut period or the royal reign of Messiah, not in heaven, not in some faraway land, on earth right here. with his people. The reason that we are bringing this to your attention is multifaceted. The king of glory has been speaking to this body and to our brother churches about works that must be performed on Adonai's timetable. That we cannot wait. That we cannot get to it. That he's saying, I have appointed you. And it must be done now. Saints, you're already aware that we have a season of imminent expansion ahead of us. We will settle in new lands. And scores of sons will become co-laborers. Look, currently we're looking at adding new works in Italy and in Romania. But can I tell you that's just the beginning? In the days ahead, we will be looking much, much further because our Father has called certain things to come to pass before he arrives. Saints, there's an urgency in the leading of our Father that we can feel, that you can see in Scripture, and that you were made to be able to discern and act upon by seizing the day. Shouldn't we be as dead men that are walking in life that is really life? I mean, no concern for this world or what's happening in it, only preoccupied with bringing the kingdom of God to earth. Shouldn't that define our lives? I've just returned from Italy, and I want you to know that the Massey family is strong. Amen. They are raising little soldiers. Pastor Massey and his wife are full of deep convictions. They are passionate, God-fearing people that will not back down, not back up, not shut up, not let up. They're selling all and moving to where they believe they are supposed to launch people into the Middle East. We identified the town that we're going to move to. It's called Bergamo, Italy. And I can tell you, we're already taking the biggest steps that we know how to plant in that place. That is not because we want to build an empire. No. That's because we are going to face the beastly empire of Satan and we are going to prevail. Yeah. I've just also returned from the arising church. In fact, I go there tomorrow. And I would never stoop so low as to cajole this body with what that body is doing. But the facts are what they are. Right now, at the Arising Church, there are families that have sold their whole house and donated 100% of the proceeds from their house to the establishment in Italy. The same family, also, since they found themselves without a house after giving away all of the profits, bought the Massey's house at full price as well. Oh, no, you can clap for Come that. On. Did you get a good clap in? Did you just celebrate what some faithful person did somewhere else as if we do not have the very same responsibilities? Should we really be celebrating one person that abandons all for the glory of the gospel when every one of us is called to abandon all for the glory of the gospel? Have you been pampered with preaching that tells you you're going to inherit heaven no matter what you do? 
Have you been lulled to sleep with the idea that you will be raptured out before things get difficult? Have you been standing on the idea that because you showed extraordinary faith to raise a pinky once in your life, that your whole life, all of your possessions, and everything in your life now is not for the advancement of the kingdom? See, I will not stand by while other churches exceed our efforts. And it's not because we're competing with them. It's because we are inspired by them. I want to be clear. That church was started by men that we discipled in a garage. And they have scratched out of the earth a thriving work for Jesus Christ. They are full of soldiers that will charge the gates of hell with a squirt gun. And we will not stand back and watch our younger brother do the heavy lifting. It'll never happen. So instead of us just going to Italy, which we will, we're going to go to Romania. We're not going to go to just one nation. We're going to go to two. And from those two nations, we are going to launch our children into the Middle East. If that is not better than your retirement plan, well, then I don't know what is. Church, now is the time to recognize the hour that we are in. If you leave this message and just go to your normal Christian chow trough buffet and move on, then how could you be awake to the hour that we are in? I am sending my daughter into another ministry, the finest pastors I have ever seen in my life, into another land. Other churches are sending their best pastors to other places. This is going to require of you that you stand up in your salvation that you put actual faith-filled actions into practice in your life. We don't just need one of you. We don't need one generous man to sell a house. We need everybody in this room to place everything they have at the feet of Jesus Christ and say, Lord, your will be done regardless of what that means for me. we got to stretch out today. Today needs to be the cure the cure for complacency. The reason why the Spirit of God gave us this message is because He is trying to give us a revelation that we must do more than what we have done before. That we must cure the complacency that creeps up just like that garden, knowing that if you do nothing, then the weeds grow. If you do not cultivate, then the weeds grow naturally. Just like Paul's revelation, just like Peter's revelation, we have got to stand firm and understand the times that we are living in as a church body. We must understand where we are in history to understand the urgency that God is calling us to, to get off of our salvation and begin to move forward and work in sacrifice and desperate need for God to show us what his will is for our lives. Do we have your attention yet? We sure are trying hard. I'm jet lagged. I'm not in my right mind, but if I'm out of my mind, it is for your sake right now. Even more than that, today is a special day. Today is no ordinary day, church. Today is the Feast of Trumpets. Today is Yom Teruah. Let's pull up that slide. The seven feasts of Israel. Most of you have seen this slide before. Now, that fifth line is Yom Teruah, otherwise known as Rosh Hashanah, the Feast of Trumpets or New Year's. Rather than taking the time to read through all of those feasts, 
We're just going to tell you that in Exodus 12, verses 1 through 2, Adonai changed the numbering of the months for national Israel. That's right. From that point on in Adonai's accounting, Nisan, or Abib, was month number one, not seven. Our slide is representative of Adonai's numbering of the calendar months. Now, every year, national Israel would go through a cycle that communicated a message of total redemption that was drawing, hear me, nearer and nearer and nearer with each repetition. Come on. In the first month, Passover and unleavened bread would be celebrated and speak a message of being purchased by God. Death passing over, separation from corrupting influences, and that God had judged the Gentile empire of Egypt while sparing them. Also within that first month, we had first fruits. It would be celebrated at the coming of the first harvest and speak a message of joy in God's provision and also remembrance that it is Adonai who gave them the land that they live and eat from. Land that Adonai had driven corrupted Gentile nations straight out of. Are you catching a theme there? Each of these feast repetition cycles speak a unique characteristic about God's working, but his power through his people to drive out Gentile nations. Now, if you continue on that train of thought, 50 days after that celebration of first fruits. Oh, come on. You should know this one. Pentecost would be celebrated and speak the message of God's ability to bring the full harvest in. Adonai's desire to meet with his people Israel. The revelation of his written word. Divine empowerment to remain a distinct people. And also divine empowerment to conquer new territory that corrupted Gentile nations held up to that point. Do you guys have more than an hour in you? I mean, Hollywood requires more than an hour of your time when you buy a ticket you pay to for see that. the crap that they purvey. Do you have more than an hour in you? Have you experienced Passover? Have you experienced Passover? Yes. Have you experienced the first fruits of your salvation? Are your lives substantially improved since you got born again? Have you had a Pentecostal experience? Yes. Then it might be time to recognize that the feast that awaits is the trumpet sound of God that says your redemption is drawing near. See, it's not just where we're at on a calendar. It's where you're at in your maturity cycle. You've already been through Passover. You've already tasted of first fruits. You have already been filled with the spirit that is the Pentecost that brings in the harvest. That means that it's required of us to turn our attention towards the redemption of the nations. Luke 21, 28 says it this way. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up, raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. Church, you cannot continue to live as if it were the first day of the week. It's not. We're not in the first day of the week. The sixth day is coming to a close, and the seventh is about to begin. 
Any assessment of the scripture will bring you to that place unless you're an end times scoffer. Are you living right now in a way that anticipates and acts as if the trumpet is going to blow imminently and you would be proud of where you stand right now? See, I don't want to spend time talking about what sins some people were involved in. We have to move way beyond your personal captivities and get into the liberation of the nations. We have to grow beyond the first three feasts and into the anticipation of that trumpet. You are not a consumer Christian. You are here to contribute to the will of God on earth. Saints, you need to know about Yom Teruah. The passages like Exodus 23, 16 or Exodus 34, 22 referred to Yom Teruah as the going out of the year. In a sense, it carries the connotation of being the very beginning of the end. This is because Yom Teruah has some very specific things surrounding it. In the month of Ul, before you get to the day of the trumpet fat plas, the people of Israel would be searching their hearts, tuning their ears in, tuning their attention to what God was about to do. The second that it goes off, it's an announcement that God's final acts among humanity have come about and are near. From Yom Teruah, you would spend 10 days in a special time of introspection, repentance, and preparation for what was to come. Those 10 days were called the 10 days of awe that followed the trumpet blast. In a sense, this is a kind of rehearsal that would be going through every year as we get closer and closer that should build an intensity. And today is the sounding of the trumpet, both on the calendar and for us. Look, so as we get into what all Yom Torah means, you need to know what it is announcing. What is the beginning of the end of? What it is telling you has arrived. The end of those 10 days after you heard the trumpet sound. Well, that would bring you to the Day of Atonement or Yom Kippur on the 10th of Tishri in the seventh month in Adonai's accounting. Saints, while you're thinking about this, this is the time of the ultimate redemption of national Israel. As Romans says, the time when all Israel will be saved. The Day of Atonement follows 10 days of all the trumpet sound going off. It is also letting you know that we are now regathering to enter into a royal reign of Messiah. You would then get to the 15th of Tishri, which is the seventh month and the feast of Sukkot or Tabernacles that in many ways is the culmination of the ages. Sukkot was both a reminder that they had been brought out of Egypt and also that Adonai would cause their nation to be so blessed as to have all of the nations of the earth come into them and be submitted to Adonai. Since we don't have time to talk to you about the 70 bulls that are sacrificed and then the one bull for Israel at the end of the feast, but I can tell you there are message after message already recorded, messages like a whole lot of bull that iterate this. But as you put this together, what you must know is that Yom Teruah is the announcement of the warning bell that says, now is the time. Today is the day. Seize the day because we have 10 days of all before you either will be atoned for or not. And the end gathering of the nations is at hand. 
all nations will stand before the throne of God and bow their knee. What side are you on and what have you done with your time? Today is Yom Teruah. Since we're not going to recover the message a whole lot of bull, let me tell you that in that message, we worked hard to take stock of the fact that Israel has suffered all, endured all, and provided to us the message of salvation and the message of the world. You can't take that away from that nation. They have suffered more than any other nation on the planet to make sure that you understand the times we're living in. If you actually believe that we're in the time of the sounding of the trumpet and that atonement is at hand, why would you hold yourself back? What wedge of gold would you bury under your mat? Would you not sacrifice every bull for the salvation of the world? Church, the hour is at hand and the time is upon us. The mature in this room will awaken to the sounding of this alarm because you'll hear it in your spirit, not so much through this microphone. We're entering into the days that genuinely sincere Christians will start to abandon all for the unparalleled expansion and witness of the kingdom of God to all nations. This will separate those that simply want to sit on their blessed assurance and warm themselves with the false assurance that they will inherit everything without sacrificing anything from those that are living and acting like Christ. We're asking you, will you join us in the expansion of the kingdom? Will you join us in the expansion of the kingdom? Remember that your mouths have just testified to that. Yom Teruah, today, the first day of the seventh month. This is a declaration of the beginning of the end. Come on. Of the redemptive feast cycle being at hand. But it is also the sign that the ultimate fulfillment of Adonai's redemptive plan is also at hand. Come on. Another modern name for Yom Teruah is Rosh Hashanah. The new year, the head of the year, Rosh means head. And in Israel today, it's celebrated as their new year. This is largely for two reasons. Firstly, it signifies the start of a new spiritual beginning of the plan of God for the nation of Israel. Now having completed their feast cycle. And secondly, Yom Teruah is believed to be both, listen, the birthday of the creation itself and the day of judgment of Adonai's Messiah. Now, as a result of this understanding, Orthodox Jews have prayers on Yom Teruah. These prayers relate to the God of creation and also to the coming king who will rule the entire world. You think they understand this process? Yeah, they do. Our next slide is a quotation from the Talmud. It's attributed to the rabbi that first articulated the Jewish hope surrounding Yom Teruah. His writing dates within a hundred years of Jesus' ministry on the earth. Let's get that slide. Rosh Hashanah 27a in the Talmud. It was taught in the Mishnah Yom Kippur of the Jubilee year is the same as Rosh Hashanah with regard to both the shofar blasts that are sounded and the additional blessings that are recited in the Amidah prayer. Rav Shmuel 
Bar Yitzhak said, in accordance with those with whose opinion do we pray today on Rosh Hashanah, saying, this day is the beginning of your works, a commemoration of the first day. In accordance with whom? In accordance with the opinion of Rabbi Eleazar, who said, the world was created in the month of Tishrei. We therefore mention on Rosh Hashanah that it is the first day. Our point is that Yom Teru is historically associated with both the creation story as well as the appearance of Messiah in the time of judgment for the entire world. Now, having said that, my brothers, we are not affirming that the exact dates of the modern observance have been perfectly maintained through the series of these millennia. However, we are also not saying that they haven't be per been perfectly maintained. There's always some debate within Judaism, and you will see that as we proceed very shortly. The discrepancies are, however, shockingly small for how many years have gone by up to this point. Tiny. When you're evaluating the statements of this Jewish rabbi, Eliezer, possibly with skepticism, it's worth considering Wait, that... Are are any of you skeptical? You can be honest. Some of you don't like the words Yom Teruah. You're not crazy that we're quoting rabbis. Well, keep this fact in mind. It's worth considering that this rabbi, Eliezer, lived much of his life during the exact same time frame as the Apostle Paul in what? 40 AD. What? And was drawn up on charges really? for his own association with followers of the way. Oh, you know, this rabbi was even labeled as a Christian by the unbelieving community of his day. Yeah, he was just that? a contemporary with the Apostle Paul and labeled a Christian. Should probably disqualify him because he's a Jewish rabbi. Oh, wait, that's the model that all of the Tanakh was founded on. Wow. And Look, every apostle. Yes. <laughs> At this point, it's probably appropriate that we review a slide with some of the Newer Testament associations with Yom Teruah. I'm just going to tell you frankly, it's on a slide because we've taught this about nine times and you can listen to it in nine other messages. But you should know that Matthew 24, 30 through 31 says that they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory and he will send out his angels with a loud call. Yom Teruah. And they will gather his elect from the four winds, from the one end of heaven to the other, not for the rapture, but the regathering of the exiled Israelites back to Jerusalem. 1 Corinthians 15, 51 through 52. Behold, I will tell you a mystery, because the people of God are supposed to know this mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound. And the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. 1 Thessalonians 4, 15 through 17. We who are alive will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Revelation 10, 6 through 7. Yeah. 
there would be no more delay. But in that day, or the days of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel, hear this word again, the mystery of God would be fulfilled. Saints, the New Testament epistles tell you you should know this mystery. And Revelation tells you it will be fulfilled at the last trumpet. Again, if you are still laboring under the misconceptions regarding the non-scriptural concept of the rapture, we apologize in the name of Jesus Christ that someone lied to you in the name of Jesus Christ. The truth of the Bible is so much better than that fictitious concept. The clear New Testament association with Yom Teruah is the signaling of the beginning of the end. The first resurrection, the ingathering of exiles from the four corners of the earth. All of this is associated with the trumpet call. And you should take note, also the treading out of the nations that have been opposed to God's people. Look, with those things in mind, for us today, we need to recognize that the Yom Teruah we are in right now, nearing the end of the sixth day, Well, it's an announcement that the ultimate atonement of Israel and those who are grafted in is close. It's an announcement that the reception of the obedience of the nations is close. We are nearing the things that God's plan that was formed before the creation was always aimed at. If aspects of these concepts are unfamiliar to you, we recommend that you review messages like the seventh trumpet, or Rosh Hashanah and the last trumpet, or Yom Kippur and understanding Islam and many, many others. Since the connection between the redemptive cycle displayed in the feast, especially Yom Teruah, well, that and the return of Christ is something that we have been teaching on and documenting in this ministry for over 20 years now. The finest disciples I know anywhere in the world, when they were born again, The first thing they did is go through every sermon that had been taught starting in 2001. Saints Abambola and Linton did the same thing. Men in Indonesia did the same thing. How do you walk into a body and want to become what it is, but don't take the time to learn what it is taught for 20 years? Saints, I'm exhorting you as a son of this house. If you don't know what we're saying, it's your fault, but you can fix it. At this point, we'd like to review two. Somebody say two. Two day or days of the Lord passages that are directly connected with the last trumpet, but you will almost never hear about in a church service. They have to do with the second exodus and the armies of God that will rally to him in the air, including us, that will be with the Lord as he treads out the nations of the earth who are in opposition to his will. As my brothers prepare to read to you about the second exodus from those two passages, remember the attitude that the apostles had before us. Think on the numerous times that they said things like 1 Peter 4, 7. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Are you self-controlled in light of what we are on the precipice of? Are you sober-minded about the final work that must be done to bring the sixth day to a conclusion? Knowing the trumpet is 2,000 years closer to sounding than when these words were first written. That That ought to leave an impression on you. LCM, we're about to enter into communion with the Father... 
as his plan has been laid out from the creation and is coming to a total culmination within generations of where we stand right now. I want you to listen carefully to these next few passages, and we're going to think through our notes. We might truncate this message so that we don't overwhelm you with the truth of what has to be revealed. But if you're not getting anything else, our time is shorter than you walked into this room believing. It's not true that you'll be raptured any moment. That is not true. But it is also not true that you can live the rest of your life as if days are going to go on just like they have been. The world is changing around us, and it's time that we find our place in it right now. The hour is at hand. Out of a multitude of passages that we could read right now, we're, we're only chose two. The first one is going to be Isaiah 27, verse 13. It says, In that day, a great trumpet will be blown. And those who were lost in the land of Assyria, and those who were driven out to the land of Egypt, will come and worship the Lord on the holy mountain at Jerusalem. The clear imagery here and throughout the prophetic works is that the last trumpet will begin the process. The one that brings the exiled people of God back to Jerusalem and the one that initiates the ten days of awe. Where by the end, all nations will see Adonai atone for his people. Subsequently, the nations who have been in rebellion to Yahweh and attacking Israel will experience the treading out of the nations that is depicted in Isaiah 63. So in short, Yom Teruah, or the day of trumpets, will initiate the beginning of the end for all rebellious powers and the salvation of the righteous, starting with the people of Israel. Our next passage is going to help you understand what the process looks like. Saints, I'm going to read to you this next passage and take you through a slide so that we can summarize some of what you should be learning. Zechariah 9, 14 says, Then the Lord will appear over them, that being the people of Israel and those who are grafted in with them. And his arrow will go forth like lightning. The Lord God will sound the trumpet and will march forth in the whirlwinds of the south. Saints, we're not going to cover it today, but this is the picture of the Ascatalon. When he arrives and he is approaching his people and those who are with him join him as his army. In fact, Revelation 17, 14 is drawing from this. The Lord of hosts will protect them and they shall devour and tread down the sling stones. And they shall drink and roar as if drunk with wine and be full like a bowl, drenched like the corners of the altar. Saints, this is the ending of the sixth millennium and the beginning of the seventh. And saints, can I tell you the hour is so much closer than you have thought of your entire life? We're going to go ahead and move to our next slide, sound booth. The month of Tishri. Tishri first is the last trumpet that the last eight passages we have read have all been depicting to you. Immediately subsequent to that, you'll see the fulfillment of the treading out of the nations and the ingathering of Israel. The tenth of Tishri is the day that all Israel is atoned for and those who are lucky enough like us to be grafted in. 
the 15th is when every nation will begin to be submitted to the royal rule of Messiah. Saints, we understand that these are complex topics. But with that in mind, we have also laid the building blocks and groundwork for years. For the purposes of today, we're not going into the judgments within the body of Christ like the sheep and goats or the separation of wheat and chaff, but it all will take place subsequent to the last trumpet and before the Day of Atonement. What we want to get to with you is our next slide. This is Yom Teruah and Jewish dating. You'll see on the left side of the screen, traditional Jewish dates. First of Tishri today, today. is 5784. With the Essene calendar, which is a little different, a little more advanced, yeah. today is 5948. This is the same day that they believe the creation was made and the same day that they believe Messiah will return on, on the last day of the 7,000-year week. So let me put this simply for you in a way that you can take a practical takeaway. If you take the longest figure that you see on that slide of conservative mainstream Judaism, well, then you would have a maximum of 216 years left on their calendar. Or put it another way, less than three lifetimes left to complete our work before the last trumpet sounds. Is that sobering? Yeah. If you were to take the shorter figure of the Essenes, it would mean that we have a maximum of 52 years left. Or put another way, less than one man's singular lifespan. That didn't help you with it. Some of us are inclined towards math in the room like a few engineers on my right. If you take the mainstream Judaism's maximum amount of time, it would mean that you're in the last 3.6% of Adonai's plan. If you take the shorter figure, you're less than 1%. You're at 0.8% of Adonai's plan. Can we say that saying we're in the last quarter is the understatement of the year? We're at most in the last few hours and might be nearing the last hour of Adonai's plan. Our point in reading this to you is not to affirm the exact dating. Matthew 24 says no man will know the day or the hour, but we definitely know the millennium and know that the times are drawing close. Saints, there's differences in the dating, but you can see Eul 29, we're talking about a one or two day difference. We're talking about a 200 to 150 year difference. Nobody who has been counting the millenniums thinks we're any further than the last few hours of Adonai's plan. What we're going to do now is hit a few passages topically that are going to remind you of the fact that your days are numbered and we're going to close in Hebrews 4 together. So I want to tell you in advance that you should spend some time reading all the way through Psalm 90. Yeah. Psalm 90 verse 1 is going to remind you of the plan that existed from the creation in all generations. But the part that you cannot leave today without getting is verse 10 through 12. The length of our days is 70 years or 80 if we have the strength. Yet their span is but trouble and sorrow for they quickly pass and we fly away. Who knows the power of your anger? Or the wrath that is coming on the world at the last trumpet. For your wrath is as great as the fear that is due you. Teach us to number our days aright. That we may gain a heart of wisdom. Yes. Saints, in this house we want to gain a corporate call for our heart of wisdom. 
No longer can we ask that someone else do this kind of work for us. No longer can someone else pay the cost and understand God's plan and just hand it to you on a platter. The apostles expected that every man who believes would gain a heart of wisdom that knew how to measure God's plan and see where you were at in the process. Psalm 39 verse 4 says, Show me, O Lord, my life's end and the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting is my life. While you're contemplating that, you should know that Moses wrote Psalm 90 and he was the greatest of prophets that ever lived. David wrote Psalm 39 verse 4. Why would the greatest figures in the Tanakh, Moses and David, cry out to be able to number their days rightly? It's because there's something else at war in you that wants to lull you to sleep constantly. But God put forth markers like today that are a trumpet call that say, seize the day while you can. Awaken! Do not go to sleep. My coming is near. We're going to pick up at the ending of Hebrews 4. And Nick will summarize some of the content to help you know what is going on. But this is a passage that we must grab hold of because it is our response to the Almighty's call. You guys there in Hebrews 4 with us? Hebrews 4 starting in verse 1. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands... Since the promise of entering his rest still stands for you, LCM. Wait, does that not interest you? The promise of entering the millennial reign of Jesus Christ, does that not interest you? Are we boring you? Are you not entertained? Let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the gospel preached to us just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them because those who heard did not combine it with faith. Now we who have believed enter that rest just as God has said. So I declare an oath in my anger They shall never enter my rest. And yet his work has been finished since the creation of the world. You guys need to remember this morning, the historical backdrop is the time of wandering in the desert that was coming to an end. But it was also required by the people of God to face corrupted to face beastly Gentile nations in order to enter the promised land. This plan of God has been in place since before the creation of the world. And the biblical authors make constant reference to Adonai as the God of creation. This is because all of these writers of the Bible are trying to teach us to number our days aright. To gain a heart of wisdom so that we do not fall short of the seventh millennia into the rest of Adonai. Guys, we just have a little bit of time left. We've only got, at most, just a couple few hours left on God's timetable. The truth is, is that maybe only one or two men in the room have considered what you are about to learn in the next verses 
So you guys need to pay attention to where Hebrews 4 goes. Verse 4, for somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words, and on the seventh day God rested from all his work. And again in the passage above he says, they shall never enter my rest. Saints, for the sake of time, I'm just going to cue you into it. The author of Hebrews, who, whether it's Paul or Apollos, men who seized the day and saw the world changed in 30 years, is saying that there was a people who heard the gospel. That generation passed away because they would not seize the day and enter into the promised land. But the author of Hebrews is not just talking about the historical fulfillment. He's not just talking about the perpetual weekly Sabbath. He's speaking about the seventh day in light of creation, the seventh day that God and God alone possesses, that is the royal reign of Messiah, and how for you to finish the sixth day well and enter into that seventh day that is his rest. I'm going to pick up in verse 6, and you'll see that unequivocally. It still remains that some will enter that rest, and those who formerly had the gospel preached to them did not go in because of their disobedience. Therefore, God again set a certain day. Somebody say certain day. Certain day. Calling it today. When a long time later, he spoke through David, as was said before. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Hear these next few words, because I promise you didn't know this before you walked in. For if Joshua had given them rest... God would not have spoken later about another day. Saints, this is not about going to heaven. And this is not about a weekly Sabbath rest. He's saying Joshua, whose name is Yehoshua, who is an image of Christ, led them to take dominion over the land and conquer the beastly powers that opposed. But that wasn't enough. Messiah will come back for those who are obedient, for those who seize the day and do all that is required. And he will lead you into the seventh millennium when he rules and reigns over this earth. And you will be at his side if you seize the time that you have. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work that he has been doing for six millennia, the six days of creation, right up to the end of the sixth day, that is the greatest time of trouble the earth has ever seen. Goes on and it says, for anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. Hebrews 4 is all about the author of creation and the plan of God from the first verse to the last, and how we can enter into that promised land Warning you, warning you, like a trumpet, like an alarm, like a sound going off that says, hearing the gospel is not enough. Men have already heard it. It is those who recognize the day called today and seize the next right action in front of them, who seize the next sacrifice, who have the next daring act of faith. They will enter the seventh millennium. One of the biggest problems that we face is we have all been conditioned to be sweet, supple little Christians massaged with ridiculous doctrines that say, if you believe, that's all you have to do. That is a total farce. It's unsubstantiated in the Bible. It's unsubstantiated in biblical history. 
The truth is, is if you actually believe, then it creates the actions in you that display your faith. It's not true that all you have to do is believe Jesus died, was resurrected on the third day, and rose again. Demons in hell believe that. That, that is not all you have to do. That has been sold to us as an opiate for the masses so that you don't do anything in your life. Listen to verse 11. Let us therefore, therefore make every effort, every effort, every kind of effort, all effort, every all effort to enter that rest. If you haven't gotten it yet, that rest is not some spiritual state of Zen. It is not a weekly Sabbath. It is every effort to complete your six days of work so that you enter into the righteous reign of the seventh millennia with Christ. And it takes every effort. Who in here has given so much effort to that cause that you're now depleted of the ability to go further? Anybody want to stand up and say you've already given all? By the way, if you have at some point in your life already given all, how is it that you sit here now except for His goodness and His continual provision? Our faith is from faith to faith. Faith from first to last. There will never be a coasting. There will never be a time when all is not required of us at every moment. And you can get very used to an Ananias and Sapphira-like mentality that says, well, I, I did do a lot. Right. I mean, I, I, think, I think we can all agree I'm pretty good. I want you to understand that His holiness is so high. The stakes are so high. There is not a moment in the last 30 years of my life that I've been good. There is moments in the last 30 years where I'm proud of what His grace has accomplished in me. But I am still so woefully short of the actions of Jesus Christ on earth. And I'm looking to discover the next daring work of faith that says, I love you, my Lord, and my life is yours. Are you protecting yourself from that moment? Are are you shielding yourself with thoughts of what you don't have to do because you're good right now? Because if you think you stand firm, I'm telling you, stand firm lest you fall. I've been preaching to this group of people for the better part of my life. And I know for sure that there are some in here that would not inherit salvation if right now your life depended on it. I know that because your life doesn't look like Christ now. There are others in this room that love him so much. And it's clear. And you're showing actions in that. That is the vast majority of this room. But don't you begin to tell me that we've exhausted ourselves to enter into that rest. We have been given so much. In fact, we've been given so much that it's a temptation for us to simply be lulled to sleep in it. And I'm telling you, the hour has struck where we have to again cross oceans. Come on. We have to plant ministries. And we have to do it while supporting all those that we're already supporting. And we're going to do it. This is not a financial message. This is a rally the troops message. The hour is short. And damn it, I'm going to kick down the gates of hell and liberate those that are captive all over the world. And if you don't like that I said damn it, you probably don't like the rest of the message either. And that's okay. 
I don't want neat, pretty little Christians that do nothing. This church was founded to storm the gates of hell, Come and on. we are saying it is the hour to act. Church, if you look throughout Jesus' words, if you look throughout the Gospels, something immediately becomes evident to you, especially in this time frame right now. I can look out and I know, I see you and I know that conceptually you understood, oh yeah, the time's getting shorter. But one of the greatest temptations that Jesus preached against throughout the Gospels is that as the time gets shorter and shorter, the temptation for his people, not some pagan nation, for his people would be to eat and to drink and to not be concerned with the time that is getting shorter. I want to tell you that Deuteronomy 28 says in the morning you shall say, I wish it was evening. I wish it was some other time. And in the evening you say, man, I wish it was morning. I wish it was another time. Because you feel the dread of the time getting shorter. And you just want to walk away from it and not feel that pressure and dread. Church, the goal of this message in you is to help you prioritize what is necessary in this millennium. Right now to prioritize what your Father in Heaven has prioritized. And to get you to put your eyes on the one thing that has caused dread to so many of you. It's not time to eat and drink and to indulge in revelry today. What it's time to do is to get ready for the sounding of that last trumpet and to get ready for the works of service that God has prepared for each one of you to do. As we come to a close, we've got a couple questions for you to contemplate. And the first one is, what if you knew beyond a shadow of a doubt, not you had a feeling, not you had a dream, but you knew that you only had 10 years left? How would that change the way that you lived starting immediately? What would it do for today, right now, if you knew for a fact that you had 10 years? What actions, what development have you decided to put off because you're dreading what it requires of you and you're just assuming that you have more time? You don't want to come face to face with it. How many things in your life are actually time sensitive, but you have treated them like you have an infinite amount of time and God's grace will just continue to pour out onto your life and you don't have to worry about it until tomorrow or next year? If you don't start now at this trumpet, we're telling you this morning that you will not have the capability to accomplish the rest of the task that God has ordained for you. We are sounding the trumpet. It's time to start now. It's time to make every concerted effort like the writers of Hebrew 4 has written to us to enter into the seventh millennia. And it's time to fully engage with the process. Since we've already gone this far, we might as well peel the band-aid. October 12, 2011, a vision happened in my household, and that vision rattled us in the best of ways. He said, what if you had 10 years? 
What if you believed with all your heart you had five? How would that change the way you interacted with your children? How would that change the way you interacted with the people in this room? How would that change the way you thought of your responsibility to the nations? What if it wasn't five years? What if it was five months? Well, I can tell you in our household, it caused us to get rid of every life insurance policy, all investments, to kill cable, to kill every single expense we have, to sell our belongings, to give away our favorite possessions, and buy tickets to go to 23 nations in one year. You know, I don't dislike my bed any more than you dislike your bed. But have you noticed how little time I spend in my own home? If you thought you had a truncated timetable, and let's be honest, none of you know exactly what your timetable is, but we know that we are at the end of a six hour, yeah. we, we, six day, we know that. If you thought you had a truncated timetable, what would look differently in your life? And if you're not making those changes right now, I'm not talking about coming to this altar and self-loathing. That doesn't do anything for me, doesn't do anything for God, doesn't do anything for the gospel. It might give you the opportunity to be touched by him, maybe. I, I, I kind of doubt that. I'm tired of self-loathing at this altar. I'm talking about action-oriented investment in the kingdom of God that shows a total abandonment of concern for yourself because you belong to the king. See, if we can't start that behavior right now, do you really think it's going to get easier as the clock winds down? I promise it won't. We don't think that we love our lives and our possessions until you're faced with the, You know, my family thought it would be no big deal for us to get rid of cable all those years ago. Would you think it would be hard for the Stevens to get rid of cable? That, that's because you've known us for more than a decade where we didn't have it. We thought it'd be an easy thing to do. You know the first thing we noticed in the evening? How much of our time was actually spent worshiping that TV set. And we dedicated our children to the missionary books. We started every evening preparing them so that you have a pastor standing here at this age. You know, friends, if we didn't do that then, you would not have what you have right now. What is required of you right now to make sure that a decade from now, this congregation and the ones we're planting across the seas have what they need? Can I tell you I didn't know it was this important? I just knew that if it was my last day on earth, I didn't want to go out as a halfway Christian. I wanted to go out in daring works of faith for Jesus Christ. That's what we're trying to leave you with. It is Yom it's the sounding of the trumpet. Every year this is a rehearsal, but there will be a year when it is actually the reality. And we're closer to that than we've ever been before. Are you ready to rest on the work that you've done? Or has the Spirit been dealing with you today? About something, maybe it's not difficult for the person on your left or right, but something that is incredibly sacrificial and difficult for you. Come on. That'll be between you and the king, and he will know you've loved not your life so much to shrink from death incrementally.
Please stand to your feet. Worship team, you can come up. Saints, we're about to pray. And as we pray, if you haven't all the way up to this point, now is the time to search your heart. What have I been putting off till tomorrow? What have I said? I will get to it in the evening or I'll get to it in the morning, but God is calling you to do today. What must you set into motion? If you need to be at this altar to find out what that is, then please, by all means. But you will not do it at this altar. You will do it on your feet in action. So as we pray, we're going to ask the Almighty God who has brought us this far to help us seize today and finish the work that we were given to do. Holy Father, we thank you. Lord, for this divine family, Lord, that you have pulled literally from the nations of the world into this room so that we might accomplish your will. Lord, we're asking that you would aid us in this moment, that every distraction, every excuse, Lord, would be carved away from us and that we'd be able to clearly identify your will, our next right action. Mighty one, that your spirit would fill us with the courage to break free from the things that have held us captive so that we can go on to the great works in your name that you have destined this body for.